Welcome to ERDB. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. That's me. Thanks again for joining us this week as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number 30 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is Interstellar. Released in 2014, starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, and Jessica Chastain, Interstellar is a science fiction film set in a dystopian future around the mid to late 21st century. Based on an original screenplay by Jonathan Nolan, the film is co-written, co-produced, and directed by Christopher Nolan. I feel like this one is going to go a bit long. I've got a lot to say. Okay, so produced by Jonathan Nolan and directed by Christopher Nolan? The two of them produced it. Oh, okay, gotcha. And they've worked together quite a few times. Um, I'm trying to think what other projects. I know they were on Memento. I think they were on Inception together. They're brothers, brothers basically, obviously, right? So right? They, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so Jonathan cool. Nolan wrote this screenplay back in like 2007. Uh, and then Christopher Nolan rewrote it. And then it eventually became a film in 2014. I believe Steven Spielberg was on the project for a little bit, but then Christopher Nolan got it. Um, I think Nolan would have done it a lot better than Spielberg, even though Spielberg's obviously a genius. Because Nolan does things with time in every one of his projects. He is the master of manipulating time in film. And this yeah. is this is the big project, you know what I mean? This is time is a character here. It's a resource. It is. To jump right into it, but I loved like how there was a linear timeline and then kind of a parallel non-linear timeline. That you could follow. See, Nolan always does that. Yeah. He always has multiple timelines. Sometimes, like, one of them's in the future, one of them's in the past. They cross over for a bit. Even just, like, simple ones like The Dark Knight messes with time more than what you'd think it would. And it's really significant and telling to an audience when you can follow it so easily. You know what I mean? Like, that... That's hard to do when you're messing with time, because I'll tell you what, I hate anything that really has to do with time travel, because it screws with my head, and I don't like it. Yeah, Yeah. and this is so easy to follow. I mean, in terms of that, it's difficult to follow in terms of other things that we'll get into. Right. But I quite like this movie for someone who doesn't like time movies. (laughs) Well, good. Yeah. So I want to talk generally around the movie for for five, ten minutes or so, and then we'll yep. get into spoilers. So yep. um, there's no spoiler to say that Matthew McConaughey's character goes into space. That's basically it. Yeah. So basically the idea of this movie came about through a gravitational astrophysicist, Dr. Kip Thorne. He did um, a lecture in 2006, and I believe Jonathan Nolan went to that lecture, and he was inspired, and he wrote the script. This is where it came from. Uh, many years ago, like it took a long time to get into production. Anyway, he was a consultant and a, an executive producer on this film. So all oh, the cool. science behind it was consulted by experts. I believe he had a team 
Um, because basically he, that lecture was a brainstorming session on a film that gets the science really well. This is the complex science. This is things that you normally wouldn't see in a science fiction film. And he released a companion book that explains the science of Interstellar. So you sort of watch the movie, you read the book, now you'll get it sort of thing. So he worked on the project, he released a book. Um, in order to really understand the science and what, what they were going for here and why they depicted what they depicted, uh, I'd really recommend reading the, the book, The Science of Interstellar by Dr. Kip Thorne. Have you read it? I have not read it. I just read the synopsis and I understand what it's about. That's another thing this movie does really well um, is it takes really complex physics concepts and it explains them visually and verbally to an extent in a way that the average joe if you're paying attention you can kind of understand what they're doing if you're if you have some understanding and grasp of science then you can actually wrap your head around it pretty well you know what i mean well when i was when i was in high school and younger i i would read a lot and i read a lot about these theories because i thought they were fascinating as hell and i'm like why is why is no one talking about how cool this is you know um, and this is the first time I've really depicted those scientific theories so accurately and so in vividly. Like, this is part of the thing. Yeah. Well, it's obviously there. It's been in pop culture, but this is the main story thread. I've never really seen different time slowing down the way it does here. You know, mm-hmm. the, the fact that time is relative, that wormholes can, can travel between space, what a wormhole actually is. Um, you can travel forward in time, but you can't go back. You can slow it down, but you can't speed it up. Mm. These are theories that have been set grounded in reality for decades. And I I remember reading books about this. I read a book called uh, uh, How to Build a Time Machine, I believe it was. And it was basically just talking about the science of it. It talked about Einstein's theory of relativity. And it just found me fascinating. And when I watched this, I immediately got that because I knew these theories. That's kind of what I'm saying. So I really loved that it depicted these things that I had read about for so long and no one was really talking about it to these depths. So I'm glad that this film exists. But that's what I'm saying is that this film, I feel like someone who doesn't have a pretty good grasp of some of these, what would be considered, you know, intermediate level physics concepts. Like some of them are really complex. Some of them get pretty complicated. But a lot of things like you have to understand... You have to understand basic physics and basic relativity and stuff like that, right? If you don't understand how that works, you're going to be so lost. Yeah. I've had some people say, like, how shit this movie is and how terrible it is. And I want to try to say this in not a pretentious way. They're kind of not the brightest people. Well, that's the thing, is that it would be really boring if you couldn't understand what was going on. It would be. Because it's there's not there's not actually a lot of action and things. This is definitely high concept. Some parts of it are though. Yeah, this time I noticed because we watched this last year, and yeah, this is the third time I've seen it. I, I sat through, you know, and watched it. This time we were just gonna do a recap, and then we ended up watching the whole thing. We weren't expecting to watch the whole thing through again. Yeah, it's two and a half hours. We've seen it recently, so we thought, oh, we'll just like make some notes. I made four pages of notes, and we watched the whole thing. Yeah, because what happened is that I'm paying attention to the details on this watch, right? I'm like, yeah. what did he just say? Okay, rewind that. And I'm like, why would that happen? See, that's what this podcast makes you do. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's so many things, like there's even basic biology that you have to understand because it's like, 
astrobiology, pretty much, that you have to kind of wrap your head around and you have to understand how certain things work to be able to follow with what they're talking about. So I understand why some people would find this really boring if you can't figure out or understand what's going on. I think even if you don't understand the theories or what's going on, there are some moments in this that are compelling as hell. Um, yes. But yeah, they're few and far between in a two and a half hour movie. So Brenton is three hours. It's it's two hours and fifty minutes. It's three hours. Is it okay? I must be yes. getting confused with something else we watched. That yeah. was two and a half. I think this movie will honestly go down in history as a science fiction classic. Like two thousand and one, Space Odyssey came out in sixty eight, sixty nine. That's a fifty year old movie, and people study that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I think this movie is that caliber, and it it feels a lot like two thousand and one, Space Odyssey. Um, in a lot of the things that's portrayed in it, even the the general ambiance and the feeling of it, mm. it feels like an older movie, almost like two thousand and one or even the beginning of the Planet of the Apes, where they're dealing with the theory of relativity in the spaceship. Um, I just feel like it's very heavily inspired by two thousand and one, which is a good thing because that's an mm. awesome movie. And see, that's the sci-fi movie that's not all action and lasers and and all aliens and stuff. It's grounded in it, it's a it's a thriller mystery basically and this mm-hmm. feels very much like a thriller there's parts of this where it's like i have no idea what's going on this is scary like i want to yeah. see where this is going i'm on the edge of my seat it's a it's a mystery movie it's a drama mystery basically mm. i like those types of science fiction movies based in in space you know what i mean i like the ones where it makes me think like, we keep yeah. going back to it time and time again. That's why I love Arrival so much. Yeah. I like things where you actually have to sit there and think about the plausibility of it. And I really like the ones where it's like, wow, like, that so could happen. You know what I mean? I love that. Yes. And that's the cool thing about this is that this probably could happen. You know what I mean? We don't know. See, I was thinking about everything that's in this, like even the ridiculous stuff towards the end with all the fifth dimensional whatever. Mm. Um, I think the one thing that's not accurate in this, and it's not a spoiler, is the fact that they're saying that everyone on Earth is going to suffocate because there's no air. Yeah. I was trying to remember that. I was trying to figure out what the issue was there. Why was everybody running out of air? I don't even remember. I remember... Michael Caine talking about how we don't breathe nitrogen and there's going to be more nitrogen in the air. I'm just thinking that even if Earth was losing its oxygen content, it would take millions of years. It doesn't happen in someone's life cycle Um, or even over the course of 100 years. So I know that they had to speed that part up for the movie and that's the most inaccurate thing. And if that's the most inaccurate thing, I'm okay with that. I think it could have been accurate because you got to remember that Earth is highly overpopulated, and so you're taking all of these acres and acres of land and repurposing them for farming. See, I, I don't know if I don't know if Earth is overpopulated in this scenario. I feel like this is after millions, if not billions, of people have already died. Mm. The way that they're talking, it sounds like a lot of shit's gone down. Um, like even they were talking about how NASA was ordered to drop bombs on poor people to kill them all because we were too overpopulated. I feel like yeah. some shit went down, like which kind of takes it out of it for me. I feel like they could have handled why Earth is dying 
better. Like, the whole storyline there was just like, eh. And this happens in the first 20, 30 minutes mm. before he leaves the planet. So we were just going to go with before he leaves the planet stuff and everything else we'll, we'll put into spoilers. So at the beginning of the movie, he's talking to Murph's teacher. And the teacher is basically having an argument about the Apollo missions and the moon landing. And they're saying that it's all just like Cold propaganda. War propaganda. And they, they talk quite a lot in the first 20 minutes because they were chasing that drone that's been flying around mm-hmm. for 10 years because there's no military anymore. They're, wh- like, why was there drones flying around? Why is there no military? Why is there no armies? He's talking about MRI machines and he's saying that those don't yeah. exist anymore. What the fuck happened? Like, I feel like that's a whole thing that they touch on. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why is... I feel like that's not to do with the main storyline of let's find a new place to live or something like that. I think it's related. It is related because Earth is dying. Like, I was sitting here trying to figure out when this was actually set. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, it's got to be like 2070 because... It's the 2070s, yes. Well, how do you know that? I looked it up. It was in the script. Well, they never mention it. No, they don't, but I believe that this movie is meant to be set in the 2070s. Well, go me. Yeah, it was a good guess. I was saying just based on some of the stuff that was talked around. So that's interesting because that means a lot of stuff happened in like 50 years, like a lot of big stuff. Mind yeah. you, I guess that's a long enough time for... Well, look at the first half of the 20th century. Yes. I also wonder, like there's a scene where I think, are they supposed to be in New York? I don't think so. You're talking about the baseball game at the beginning? Yeah, the baseball game. They've got a poster that says the world-famous New York Yankees. I believe it says welcome, like they're the visiting team. Oh, okay. Um, and after, you know, 50 years, I feel like teams get bought and moved around quite a lot. Mm. So maybe they move to Colorado or whatever the fuck they are. <laughs> yeah, they never do say where they are. Yeah, Nebraska. Where's where's the corn? <laughs> Could be Nebraska. I don't know. Yeah. I just wanted to say, I was talking to you yesterday about they actually grew all of that corn, 500 acres yeah. of real corn, because Christopher Nolan didn't want to do it in CG. That's great. At the end of the movie, he sold it all for a profit, which I thought was amazing. I thought that was pretty cool. And it really shows in the production value when you do things like that. You know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. It's funny, because when I'm actually sitting there watching a movie, I don't think about things like that. I'm like, oh yeah, he's driving through corn. He would have just found some corn and done the yeah. scene. Of course. But of course, like, you have to set up the set and everything. And I mean, I think that's awesome. Like, when you're willing to go that far to make sure that your concept gets across, I think that's awesome. I think we've spoken about this on the other Christopher Nolan movies that we have covered. There was Dark Knight in episode 4, Inception in episode 14, about how Christopher Nolan loves doing things practically. He's very much old school in that sense. He likes doing things real as much as he can on 70mm IMAX cameras. Like um, He's like a reverse George Lucas. George Lucas is like, do everything digital, fuck it. Which I really appreciate because I think that's why it makes it feel like an older science fiction movie to me because he uses a lot of models, a lot of miniatures. Um, Like those old Star Wars movies, they're all in models. 2001 would have been in miniatures. There was actually quite a lot done and it feels like that. We were talking about the frame rate of the spaceships Mm. 
mm-hmm. and the, some of the docking procedures there, it really feels like you're watching something real. Like you can see the materiality of it that you don't get if you try to CG it. It's just like the lighting, the textures, the movement, it was all dead on. You know what I mean? And it really, again, it adds to it. It does. It makes me feel much more immersed. Well, that's the thing, because when you're watching, you don't notice until you go back and think, wait a minute, I didn't notice that. You know what I mean? Mm. Often, if it's CG, there's going to be something off with that uncanny valley, and you notice it, and it takes you out of it right away. If you're not taken out of that moment, they've done their job really, really well. That's a good point, yeah. Mm. Another thing that I appreciate that Nolan also does that makes you feel immersed is... A lot of the times, particularly when they're in the farmhouse, the camera's very shaky, like someone's Mm. actually holding a camera, like it makes it feel like you're not watching a movie. You're Mm. watching people's experiences, and I love that. Like, I really picked up on that this time around. Mm. When you're really in these human moments, particularly in Murph's bedroom, the camera is being held by a cameraman, and it's it's shaking around just a a slight amount, just just to make you feel more immersed, and I, I like that. I've got some questions and some things that I want to ask about and talk about that kind of require me to lay it all out. Yeah, so I think we'll just go into spoilers now. Okay, so to go into spoilers a little bit, pretty much Earth is getting really upset because humans are a virus. They don't say this, this is my own words, but humans are a virus that are killing the Earth. Earth is fighting back at this point. People are dying because the Earth, I think, has got to that point where it needs to cleanse itself of people. Like, people are like a parasite. Yeah, we're like a virus, and we're doing things, and, you know, the Earth has, for billions of years, gone through cycles and changes and wiped out whatever life has been here and then regenerated again. So it almost seems like it's doing that again. That's a good point, actually. It's kind of like a living thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's done it a bunch of times. This is going to lead into a few different points. But my first question is, so they say, you know, there was, I think, one of those old ladies in the beginning clip. She's like, you didn't expect it. Like, this dirt that sustains you starts to fight back or whatever. I want to know, like, why are there these dust storms? Because generally speaking, and, you know, dust comes from erosion. And erosion comes from the fact that there's nothing rooted all the time. Maybe, I think I just answered my own question, maybe it's because the Earth is suddenly all being farmed all at the same time, so nothing's settled. Do you think that could be? I'm thinking it's got to do with the weather patterns and the amount of water there is. Usually if there hasn't been a lot of rain for a long time, you get more dust storms. I'm just thinking, why were there dust storms in the 30s? Because that was the thing. It was the Great Depression plus the Dust Bowl, which made it shit. You know? See, I don't know if that's like related or is it just coincidence no it was a coincidence that those two things happened at the same time but that's what immediately is called to my mind that was also really interesting for me you've got remote controlled combines you know you've got engineers running farms but then you've got this small little modular school with a shitty wallpaper and you've got these really old style houses even though everybody's like you know, got the capabilities to take down an ex-military drone. You know what I mean? It's a really weird juxtaposition that I kind of like. I think that's quite an accurate depiction as to how things would be in the 2070s in a a reality like this, because it's the little things that changes, right? It's not like your actual, like, 
living underwater in a bubble or up in space and everyone's flying around in cars because that's just not thinking logically. This is thinking in reality, what is the future going to look like? I just find it weird that he's got his shitty old Dodge pickup and he can, yeah. you know, like that's the thing thing's to me. rusting like to hell, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, like I like it because I mean, you're right. Honestly, we're kind of in that position now because when you go home, everybody's got, you know, VR capabilities on your Xbox and a computer in your pocket, even though you live in the middle of the bush. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it is at home. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just it's just yeah. interesting to see it and think about it. Mind you that, like, progress has probably been paused. There aren't, like, medical and technological advancements for the last yeah. 20 years or so. So I'm not saying that we would be flying around, but I think the the future is depicted quite accurately in that That's sense. That's actually how I figured out, personally, when this is supposed to be set. Okay. Because Donald, the grandpa, he said, when I was a kid, they were making something new every day. So I'm thinking right. he was like a 10-year-old kid now, like in 2014, 2020. And then I added yeah. on, like, he's got to be 60 or 70 years old. You know what I mean? Let's add 60 years. That makes it 2070 from 2010 you know what i mean mm -hmm. um because there are now there's something new coming out all the time yeah which i just find it interesting that, that's an interesting remark yeah i didn't really pick up on that yeah and i'm excited to see where the world goes honestly because i think it will stay a lot more familiar than we expect it to you know yeah yeah i agree because it hasn't it's the little things that have changed in the last 30, 40 years, and not the big things. Mm. It's not what we do, it's how we do it. Yeah, exactly. That being said, I really like the robot design in this for Tars and Case. I think it's very unique. Too. I've never mm -hmm. seen that before. That looks like something from a 1970s sci-fi movie, but it's... It's to, like even with the like the scrolling text on the little black and white monitor, mm. that feels like what that would be. But when you see their full capabilities, both physically and um, verbally, you can see, oh, this isn't this isn't just a crappy sci-fi thing. This is actually a full-fledged robot, and their design was thought about. And I think it's actually very accurate because they were military robots. They were designed to be robotic yeah. marines, right? So you need something really hardy. That has advanced communication skills. See, people would think of humanoids, not cuboids. But it works really well because they've got all of the... You see them as four compartments, you know what I mm. mean? But they actually have the ability to break up into kind of fractal-like iterations yeah. of themselves. Yeah, which is why I think that design went that way because they're very modular. They can just slot yes. into the machines, into the aircrafts. And yeah, so I think there's a, there's a lot of thought going into the design there and I really appreciate it. Because it looks very impractical. It looks impractical. It does. It's like a cube walking around. But then when you see it move... When you actually see it in action, yeah. it makes a lot more sense. It's a lot hardier than a humanoid with all these fragile joints. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have one joining spot. One joint, maybe four, depending. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's kind of Star Wars-esque, too. At the end, when you see he grabs... Uh, Cooper grabs Case and hops in the ship and takes off. He sits in like he kind of yeah, sits he in does, like R two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you can see that first person camera angle just on their face, very much like what they do in the Star Wars movies. Mm. It's like it shows you the pilot, then it shows you the droid. Yeah, it does feel like that actually. I've got to say too, like I love the way 
in terms of their characters. I find it interesting that they all had their own names because they're evidently the same type of bot. They're almost like they're acronyms. Yes, but like, why would they be different? You've got three robots that look the same, but one's TARS, one's CASE, and one's KIP. Why would they be... Unless they're all connected on the same server and they all just work as the one robot but with different bodies, you would kind of need names because you would have different things saved on there. I like that they've got different levels of trust, honesty, humor, discretion. You can set your droid to whatever settings you want. Yeah, I mean, you can have those varied between the robots. I just find it interesting that, like, you could probably set your bots to the same levels of settings on everything and they'd still have different personalities probably you know Chaos like theory. case said tars has always been chattier than me you know what i mean yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i just like i like those robots yeah they're really cool robots mm. i was gonna jump into the timelines a bit more so i sat down and watched this this go around knowing full well why everything's happening yeah and so i was thinking about it like everything that happens future cooper does right and i'm like okay so why is he doing that you know i was thinking about it was like what's talking about the end where he's in that fifth dimensional thing yes and he's causing everything the changes with gravity to happen can i just say people use the word dimension wrong they mean dimension when they mean in like a a multiverse or an alternate universe people use dimensions wrong and i think I think they use it very correctly in this. It's because they don't understand. Well, even like Rick and Morty, they're talking about interdimensional travel and shit. And it's like, well, it's not really interdimensional. It's into multiverse. You're going to yeah. a different universe, a different reality. It's a, it's a timeline. Mm-hmm. It's not a different dimension. Anyway, I think that the, the dimensions in this were depicted very well. Do you, do you know what like the fifth dimension is? They're talking about fifth yes. dimensional beings. So to give a definition... Like you say in Rick and Morty, different universes are all in the same timeline. Dimensions transcend time. And sp- yes. Well, and space. Yeah. So what do we have? We've got first dimension, singular dot point, second dimension. The second dimension would be like a square. So yeah. it has length and width. And the third dimension is a cube. Yeah. It has length, width, and depth. Yeah. And fourth dimension is movement, isn't it? It's, That's it's a movement tesseract. over time. What's a tesseract? That's what a tesseract is. It's a fourth dimensional cube. It's a cube that changes depending on what the time is. So you've got length, width, depth, time. Okay. So we're three-dimensional beings living in the fourth dimension because we're, we'd look differently depending on time. We could be a baby. We yeah. could be an old man. You know what I mean? Um, but we see in two dimensions, which is interesting. Yeah. Because it's an optical illusion that makes us think that we're seeing in three dimensions. Um, so we're 3D, seeing in 2D, living in 4D. So what is the fifth dimension then? The fifth dimension is being able to see all of the different timelines at once. Okay, so being able to manipulate time. That's really interesting. Yeah, and and Hathaway's character says that very well in this by saying that like the fifth dimensional beings, time to them might be a valley that you go in and that's backwards and you might climb a mountain to go forwards. That could be what is to them, but it's not for us. And I think that's mm-hmm. really an interesting statement because... That's absolutely what fifth dimensional beings are. Mm-hmm. Just because they went through a wormhole, they didn't go to another dimension. That's not what a dimension is. People think that that's how they use that word. No, they just they went to another word. location yeah. in space. Fourth dimension is time and the fifth dimension is time travel. And that's kind of true. 
Yeah. Just being able to manipulate time. Yeah. You know what I mean? To put it in layman's, that's kind of what it is. But it's not like Back to the Future. It's like actually being able to do things with it. And I remember thinking, like, I still don't get who they were in this movie. That's what really falls flat for me. There's two things that, even by the end of this, watching it three times, understanding the theories, there's two things that I don't really understand still. And Mm -hmm. one is... The fifth dimensional beings. Were there actually beings or was it just Cooper the whole time? Was there something up there that was altering or watching? Who put the wormhole there near Saturn? So there, there must be actual beings. They're like, we did it. Humans did it. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. So they think the, the, it's humans from the future. Yeah, which doesn't... Yes, weren't they saying that the people from Cooper Station, right at the end when everyone's old, they were the ones who put the wormhole there back in the past? No. No? No. Okay, so that lost me. I don't know if there's actually dimensional beings, because Anne Hathaway thought that she shook hands with one of them, but it was just Cooper. Was it just Cooper the whole time? Yeah. Probably not. Yes. I don't think it was, because he ends up in that other dimensional fucking space by the end there. He's messing with all those strings, which is what string theory is, when you approach the singularity of a, of a black hole. Anyway. Um, that's cool I didn't know that yeah it's actually that that scene towards the end where he's talking about the bookshelves to really understand yep. that that's the most complex thing of the whole movie is complex string theories being like shown visually which I've never seen before so maybe if you ever read this book which I thought was very cool by the way yeah. and knowing nothing about string theory I think it was presented quite compellingly and it made a very complex complicated concept Very visually interesting and accessible for the audience. Real quick on that, I think the biggest paradox of this is, so he gets the coordinates for Mm -hmm. the Lazarus missions that he goes and drives out there with Murph. He gets that from the anomaly. Yeah. Which the anomaly is himself. Well, no, he doesn't get the coordinates from the anomaly. Oh. No, he does in binary. Yeah, past Cooper past, gets past them from Cooper the Cooper gets it from future Cooper, and future Cooper yep. knows it because of past Cooper, but he never learns it in the first place. Where does this knowledge come from? You can't just have an infinite loop that past gives it to future and future gives it to past. It needs to have a creation I cycle know. in there somewhere. And that's why I get frustrated with time travel because I paradoxes. Yeah, that's the that was the me. thing that like bug, mugged me the most. I'm like, where? Actually, there was a thing in Futurama. Where there's a whole thread where um, <laughs> Fry had the coordinates in binary for time travel tattooed on his ass. So Bender hey. uses it to go back in time and put the tattoo on his ass so that it's there in the first place. But it's never created. He just uses it to go back and forth. Like, yes, yeah. yes, it's there because Bender put it there from the future. But future Bender only has it because past Bender had it. That's dumb. That's a paradox. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening in this movie. And just reminded yeah. me of that. It's <laughs> such a stupid thread, but it's essentially the same thing. Well, anytime I've seen time travel in a movie, I get frustrated by that. Like, even in Harry Potter and The Prisoner of Azkaban. Which we will be talking about in about a month. I'm very excited for that one. Yeah. I'll have more to say on that episode. Yeah, I think the paradox is in that. See, you, you come up with almost exactly the same thing. I think they're explained a little bit better, and because I've read the books, I kind of know where they originate from. I think they are explained better. They're more forgiving in there. But there is a, I believe there is a time where someone from the past has some knowledge that them from themselves gave them, but they never 
experienced it in the first yeah. where did you get the knowledge from like whatever yeah. um so the second thing that i still don't understand is how murph is able to save the humans in the end she comes up with a breakthrough they all move off saturn and she's a genius so what they needed to be able to get the nasa space station off the ground so they've got the whole facility he said it's a centrifuge it's a space station right so real quick launch it. i thought that michael kane's character said that that was never the intention so it was the intention at some point well no that was the intention so you're saying because he lied yeah he said there was never a, okay. a plan a. so they started the whole project the whole nasa project as plan a and he was working on this equation to solve gravity, to get this thing out into space, yeah. right? Like, he needs to solve gravity. They had started working on it already. He figured out fairly early on, fuck, I can't solve this. I'll just pretend and I'll keep working on it so that we okay, can at yeah, least do plan B. Yep. Right? And he said, because nobody's going to work together to save somebody else. They're only going to work together to save themselves. Right. What she does is she gets the data from the black hole singularity and is able to redo his work and solve the problem for gravity, so they actually are able to do plan A. So she got the data from the black hole singularity from, is it Lars? Tars. The robot that goes from in From Tars. So he goes and he analyzes it. He relays it to Cooper in binary, and he puts it into the watch. Or no, in binary, and he does it in Morris. Yes, yeah. Morris. Yeah, so, so the fact that humanity is saved... And Murph puts the space station up there, saves humanity, is all because Cooper's manipulating the watch with Morse code. Yes. Wow. Because... But that isn't a paradox, okay? No, I don't think that is. Yeah, that happens because he's gone there and he's able to Yes, he's got the knowledge. Watch. The problem yeah. I was having before is you didn't get this knowledge from anywhere, but that one is explained. I was talking about the yes. coordinates. Um, yes, that doesn't make sense. See, that again, like... Every time I watch this, towards the end, where he's on Cooper Station and he's like, oh, thanks for naming it after me, and the girl laughs at him, yeah. I think, fuck you, you have no idea. He's made the ultimate sacrifice, honestly. Uh, apart from, yeah. like, the black guy on the, on the station who had to stay there for 23 years, he's made the biggest sacrifice out of anyone in this fucking thing, right? Mm. Um, even more than Anne Hathaway, I really think. And they didn't even name it after him. They don't even know who he is. Like, they, they do, but there's no recognition there. Especially since he was the one who gave the coordinates to Murph in the first place. So it's just like a big yeah. fuck you. I just, I really feel for him in that moment because I'm like, give him some more credit. This guy is like a pioneer. Well, and even she said, nobody believed me. Yeah. yeah. Nobody believed where I got it from. Like, she's the only one who understands what he went through. I'm sure she is great. She is obviously brilliant, but I think he deserves just as much recognition, if not more. And I don't think that he's getting it by the end here. Yeah, because he's the relay. He's the one yeah. who went into the black hole. Also, question. So, he's in a black hole. Yep. Then the Tesseract is disabled. And then he's just floating by Saturn in the future. I think he went through a wormhole or something. I think that that was a little cloudy for me. I don't really know the progress in there. Because I, when I was young, I didn't understand the difference between wormholes and black holes. Yep. They're very different. They're very different. But they kind of like smush them together in this for the a little sake of bit, making not it make really. Sense. I, 
I okay for starters this always annoys me there's no way you need to explain what a wormhole is to Cooper when he first goes up in the space station I understand that they're doing it for the audience because most of the audience like you said might not know the difference between a worm what's a wormhole what or a black hole you know what I mean so he does that paper demonstration where he's poking the pencil through but it really takes it out of me because this guy's obviously a genius like I even knew that and I'm not so I don't know, it's just like, there's no way Cooper didn't know what a wormhole was. Like, they were talking about wormholes to Michael Caine before he, he got up there. He knew what it was, he just didn't know that it would look like that. Yeah. He's like, it's a sphere. The sphere, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really cool interpretation, and I don't think that's what they were talking about when he was explaining to him. He was talking about what a circle looks like in three dimensions, which is a really cool, because the hole is a point, not a two-dimensional yeah. thing. So the point is the center of the sphere, yeah. Yeah, it's... Physics is cool, man. It really like, is. Uh, this is why I read a lot about it. Higher level physics. And it just, it makes me frustrated because I was so bad at it in high school. And it's so interesting. I just, I don't care. I don't care about <laughs> velocity and acceleration and fucking directional forces and crap. I wish there was more applications to do with like astrophysics because I would have really liked to have studied it more. But in well, reality, unless you're like working for fucking... NASA or a high-up university. SpaceX. No one really gives yeah. a fuck. I always thought when I was a kid, like, how do you possibly accurately recreate gravity in space? Because if you watch stuff like Star Wars or Star Trek, they're all just walking around the ship. And I'm like, well, that's not how mm. gravity works. But things like this, things like 2001, things like The Martian, they show that space station spinning around, and that clearly makes sense to me, and I love that. And if we work to make... Mm long trips to Mars and, and stuff, this is what the ships would look like. And I love that because it, it solves that problem with real science, even though it hasn't well, happened in reality. The thing is, we have to have it because our bodies aren't adapted to go without it, right? Yeah, look at Wally. They were talking about how the bone density is reduced because no one's walking around and stuff. You know, that's, that's not a gravity thing, but gravity would affect that. Well... Like, you have to exercise on the space station because you're not actively using your muscles the same way, so they're going to degenerate. Because even, like, holding yourself up because there's gravity activates your muscles enough that they don't degenerate, right? I'm trying to think of what the longest trip ever was on the International Space Station. I think it was, like, it 18 months. It was over a year. Yeah, I think it yeah. was 18 months or two years or so. Uh, and mm-hmm. they did calculate, like, it was enough to calculate how much his muscles had degenerated and his bones had, like fucked up right so basically they just put him on a bit of an exercise regime for the next year and he was fine mm-hmm. you couldn't do that indefinitely though because no. even over generations your kids are going to be fucked up right they're not gonna be able to walk on real gravity so yeah you do need those sort of mechanisms and i love that how that's depicted here mm. just everything about it is so well thought out it really that's is why i like it i'm glad it took like eight years to make this fucking thing because it's done really well, and you've got real scientific consultants on this. How much did it gross? It made its money back, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Especially cool. with the Christopher Nolan name and Jonathan Nolan. Mm. Yeah, so I'm on board with everything these guys do. Like, it's, I think it's incredible. See, that being said, I think this movie is incredible. There's a lot of deep, oh, yeah. really thought-out stuff. With a lot of Christopher Nolan stuff, I think that, but I don't really have any intention of re-watching it. Like, it's not fun. Like, I love Inception. I think it's a great movie. I have no real intention of ever watching it again. 
It's not one where you just want to throw it on because you want to be comfy and watch your favorite movie that makes you feel good. Yeah. That said, like, Arrival isn't something I'd want to watch over and over again, but I love the concept of it. I just, I love when you watch something and you're like, my brain feels so enriched. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I like those concepts. Uh, so the budget was $165 million, and just in the US, they made $678 million. Whoa. Good job, guys. Can I say, too, this movie does a really good job of balancing high-concept, kind of sterile scientific ideas. It makes it presents them in a way that's relatively easy to understand and follow, and it balances that with really human moments. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's done very well throughout. It makes things exciting. It makes like I said, these dry concepts really exciting um, and compelling. And through this human storytelling, I think it's just really a masterpiece of conglomeration of ideas and thought and concepts. Yeah. I think it's great. One of the best scenes, I think, in this, and one of the best scenes I've ever seen Matthew McConaughey acting in, is when he gets back from the planet near Gargantuan, and he's looking at 23 years worth of videos. And you just see yeah. him slowly start to cry, and it makes me, like, it hits me every time. Especially when you see, you're looking at the video, you're watching Murph, you're not watching him, you can't hear him, and then all of a sudden it just mm. cuts, and he's silently just crying and crying, and I think that is such a powerful moment. Well, and how crazy would it be that you sit down, for you, what feels like a couple of hours, you come back, you find out your grandparent and then your grandkid died, and then your kid doesn't want to talk to you anymore, and your other kid hasn't talked to you in the whole and time. And now your kid is the same age as you. Yeah, like, all of that. Like, that's a psychologist's nightmare. That's yeah. oh, that's so fucked up, man. Like, that's such a big concept, and it's depicted so well. That's such a tense scene when they're on their planet, though. That's got to be one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen in film. Yeah. And one of them also is Matt Damon's character trying to dock with the station. Holy shit. That is so intense for me, too, because you see that explode and you don't hear it. Yeah. Because you wouldn't hear it because there's no, like, look at something like like Star Wars. It's just like, you always hear these explosions, right? Because it, that's what makes it more fun. Um, yeah. But you don't hear it in this. You just see it. You just see it just exploding and you're like, holy fuck. That's what makes it all the more jarring. It does. It really does. You know, because it's not natural. Um, I want to talk about... Matt Damon's character a little bit, Dr. Man. Sure. So, he's a dick. Mr. Man. <laughs> he's a dick. What was his intentions again? Why did he do that? So, he says he's doing it to save humanity and put through plan B, but I think he actually just went really crazy being isolated for so long. Wh which it would do, yeah. You can't really blame him for that. No, and that's why I say I made an interesting point that I really wanted to highlight in here. I said... He's basically in the same headspace as he would be if he wanted to commit suicide. Except he doesn't want to die, he wants to live. That's interesting. Because he was talking about how the last time he went down for a sleep, he didn't even put a date on it. He's just like indefinitely because he doesn't care about himself anymore. He's, yeah. he's done with it. But yeah, he's, he'd be very much in the state of mind of someone who's looking to commit suicide. And what I, why I say that is that when people are suicidal, they Irrational. can't think properly. Yes, they, they are running on pure emotion 
and they can't think rationally. All they can think about is how to make this horrible feeling they're, that they're going through stop. For him, he's doing the same thing. He's trying to figure out how can he make this horrible feeling that he's going through stop, except instead of misery and wanting to end his life, it's misery at being alone and isolated. He'll stop at nothing to get back to civilization, and that ultimately <laughs> leads to him dying, mm. you know? Um, and I just thought that was really interesting, and from a psychological perspective, it's it's really different to see, like, the way his mind is working, you know? It, that's not yeah, generally no, that's a good point. something you see. Like, there's a lot of everything that's irrational, like the fact that he rigged his station to blow if anyone looked at his data. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's showing... I don't see how that would be helpful to you at all because those people who are there looking at it are going to be your one shot to get home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why would you kill them? So, again, that's just another layer of irrationality kind of piled on there that was a really well fleshed out character for how short of a time he was involved in the movie you know what i mean yeah i completely agree yeah i really like Mm. matt damon in those roles too i always get confused with the martian because it's both got jessica chastain and matt damon um and matt damon's suit is like orange cooper's isn't orange it's like a gray teal color Uh, it just makes it look like like is this from the martian um Yeah. yeah I really like Matt Damon in The Martian. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. Yeah. Um, I just, I just wanted to go back to that planet near Gargachuan. What what was the planet called again? Do you remember? They didn't have names. They okay. just had like... Whose planet was it? The water one. Yeah. Miller. Miller. Dr. Miller. Miller's I'm like, planet. it starts with M, right. Um, did they not calculate because the gravity is going to be like this, the waves are going to be like this? Did they not know that? No. Because the gravity, it was so close to the black hole. So that's really interesting. So that's a tide. Yes, that's the tidal wave. That's instead of a lunar tide, that's a black hole tide. Yes, that's why it was like that. And I think that if you knew, okay, it's this much away from the black hole, it has this much water on it, you're going to have waves. Or would they just think it was just going to be a bulb on one side where it was a lot kilometers deeper on one side and not a wave that's amazing too because i didn't even think of that i'm like that makes so much sense that wasn't just a stylistic choice at all i thought the same for the first two times but this time i'm like why is there a wave what would cause the wave probably gravity oh there's a fucking massive great big black hole right there that's what's causing the tidal waves that's why it's like that isn't that awesome? Isn't it interesting? Yeah, I'm like, why is it so shallow? It's because all the water is in these big waves that's yeah. like periodically going through. So of course there's going to be barely anything left. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe I didn't clue into that. I love this movie. Yeah, it's fucking amazing, isn't it? It's so smart. Yes. Um, And to think about it, apparently waves that size have existed on Earth several times. What caused it? Big uh, asteroid or something? Yeah, pretty much. Scary. I just wanted to say, like, if Cooper is the best pilot that NASA ever had, which he obviously shows that in his skill, why didn't they just contact him for the Lazarus missions? He just he just happens to show up, and that's how they recruit him. And then when they re- when he shows up, just like out of the blue, they're like, "Oh, you know, you were the best pilot, but we didn't want to send you on any of these missions." Well, at the beginning, it shows that he had a big crash. Right. Remember? So he was discharged. Maybe he was discharged. And he says, the only time I ever crashed was when a robot 
yeah took over ease too soon or whatever yeah which is interesting because we talk about self-driving cars all the time and the only time self-driving cars crash is when people take over see self-driving cars can still crash it does crash a hell of a lot less than humans so people think oh self-driving cars aren't perfect but yeah it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be better than you which they are well but i'm just wondering why is it that he's better at flying a spaceship than a robot would be they were talking about how you can never simulate... You can simulate lots of things. Trust and honesty and humor we were talking about before. But you can't simulate the survival, survival instinct, instinct. Which I think is a very important thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like That's a very big ethical problem that they have to solve with self-driving cars and more automated machines in the future. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole ordeal that I could get into. But... Um, yeah, because you have to make preferences over what if someone's life is in the hands, but someone else's life is also in the hands, and you have to make the decision between the two. Um, people would think emotionally; they would think instinctually. Uh, robots, whereas a computer won't. would think logically. Yeah, you. It's a but the computer still is running on an algorithm that a human wrote, so you have to go through these ethical problems when you're doing algorithm design. It's kind of an interesting thing, but it's it's a whole side thing. Um, yeah. Another whole thing that I want to get into, because you had a bit to say about it, was Anne Hathaway, what's her name? Dr. Brandt's, um... Brand. I thought they were saying Brandt, but it's Brand. Her assertion that love can, uh, transcend dimensions. See, and I disagreed with that. Because I think the the love exists in her own mind. It's self-contained. She can transcend the wormhole she's saying that love is between dimensions even though she doesn't know if this person is alive she hasn't seen him in a decade you're on the other side of the the universe and she says that it transcends and i'm like well it doesn't it's your depiction in your own mind that does it's self-contained in your own head yeah and that could open a whole philosophical existential uh debate as well what is love (laughs) well not even what is love what is perception you know what i mean if you perceive so, it, does that make it real? Well, to you it does. To you it does. And See, that's like the only thing. The only thing that you know to be inherently true is that you're thinking, and because you're thinking, you exist. Yeah, that's the only thing. Um, we're not going to go into that. No, we're not. That's a whole lot of Descartes and stuff, and we're not going to go there. <laughs> it's very interesting, though. I love having those sort of conversations. Yeah, we've probably lost a lot of people listening to this because they're like, "Oh, fuck! Shut up, nerds." <laughs> <laughs> That's just us, y'all. That's what we do. I think it's necessary, and this movie brings these things about. That's the point of the movie, is to show very accurate scientific principles in a very big blockbuster pop culture movie, and I think it does it very, very well. I think it does, too. I think it's quite amazing, actually. Like, to sit down and watch it last night, I'm like, yeah, I like this movie, but to actually go through and dissect it, I'm like, whoa, like, this thing's insane. I'd really like to read that book. We were going to watch the, what was it, the behind the scenes or whatever? Just because I was interested in how they filmed it, I'm like, did they use miniatures and models? And I looked it up and they, they did. I can I can see that. Um, how amazing would it have been to have made a documentary about making this movie and to talk with all of the physicists who were on the consultant team about like, this is how we're saying that this has to go. Because you'd have to have cinematographers, graphic designers, physicists, directors, like everybody on a panel together Working together to be like, 
someone would say, well, would this make sense visually? And you'd say, no, it doesn't make sense because of this. Well, does this make sense? How are we going to film that? I don't know, but it, it's got to be, you know what I mean? Or even like that depiction just... of the black hole where you can see the event horizon, where it's curving the light around it. There's actually quite a few times because you thought that there was something, there was an orbit around the wormhole. And I'm like, well, the orbit... You the do, first you wouldn't, time I watched it. You wouldn't have things orbiting around the wormhole because it has no mass. You're watching... The stars bend around it because it's bending light, and I think that's an interesting depiction. The wormhole. Not the wormhole, the yes. Hole. The black yes. hole also bends light, but yeah, it's it's shown really well. Like, the visuals yeah. in this are actually incredible. It's so mesmerizing. It looks like a screensaver. <laughs> it's just so cool because it looks like this shiny orb. Yeah, it but does. But it's not. It's, yeah. it's a spherical hole. Think about that. Yeah. We are nerds. <laughs> I was looking at, I think it was on Instagram, someone posted, it was it was an art piece. Basically, it was like a, a tetrahedron or something. Uh, yeah, it was, it was like a ball, like a soccer ball, basically. I don't know what that, the actual name uh, of yeah. it is. Something yeah. like that. Uh, but it, each one of the sides of this ball was a two-way mirror. So light can look in, but it can't get back out because it's a mirror. So looking at this thing just fucked with your head because that's essentially what this wormhole was, right? The light can look, look in. You can look into into the bowl, but as soon as the light's in there, it can't ever get out again because it's surrounded by mirrors. I want to understand what this is. So just by looking understand. at it, it looks fucked. <laughs> um, but it's just basic mirrors. I can't imagine what that looks like. It looks like... So it's like... It looks very similar to the ending of this where he's in the bookshelves and you can see it go on for infinity. You're just seeing the same yeah. reflections bounce back for eternity. I want to see that. It was just this I'm art piece that I saw like two days ago, and it's very similar to how this wormhole would look because you can look into it, but you wouldn't really get much light coming back at it, out of it. It's, it's really cool. I just wanted to mention how amazing the sound is in this. I know Christopher Nolan... That was going to be my next point. ...is, oh man, his use of sound and the use of music. Hans Zimmer, don't ever work with anyone else. You've got it down pat, okay? You've reached perfection. You did with, like, the prestige... Or The Dark Knight, where you've just made this connection. Uh, Christopher Nolan works with Harm Zimmer, and you make perfection. That's how it works. And uh, it just works so well. Like, the amount of things that they can do. I should show you Dunkirk, because his use of sound and music in that is intense. You pointed out to me I get very excited. The, the, yeah, you do. Weirdo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When they're on Miller's planet with the water... Time is really of the essence. Yeah. And so the score is like tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Yeah. Like and within sort the of, music. It sort of starts to speed up and gets like, oh man, that's such a tense scene. I fucking and, love that scene. Well, and there's so many levels just to that music because that tick tock is making you aware of the time and the speeding up is making you aware of the fact that time is passing more quickly, but also it makes you feel on edge yeah. because- oh my god, you're about to get hit by a giant fucking tsunami tidal wave. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it was brilliant on so many levels. That was just the one that we really noticed. Like, I'm sure I'm sure there's so many things that you don't immediately notice. Well, there's a lot. Like, even I was talking about how there was no sound, no music during the explosion mm-hmm. scene, because there wouldn't be. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that just adds to the, the, the drama of it, and I fucking love it. So, kudos to the sound and Hans Zimmer. Did they do that in Star Wars? Do what? Big fucking spoiler in The Force Awakens. Didn't they hit the big star? No, you're thinking of Last Jedi. Okay, well, in The Last Jedi, then. 
uh, they did this similar thing, where, and there was also no sound, which also That's made it so tense. That, I yeah. honestly think, is one of the best scenes in any of the Star Wars. Ever. Yeah. That's... <sighs> sorry, y'all. I warned you. Big spoiler alert there. So, sorry. The movie's been out for a couple um, of years, and yeah. I don't think he spoiled it much. There was an explosion in a scene in space in Star Wars. Like, that's pretty much all you said. Don't judge me. They released these trilogies way out of order. I don't know any of the names, and it's all very... Yeah, that's fine. ...chronological, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've spoken quite a lot about this movie. What do you think? Yeah, we and we spoke a lot around it, which is good. Just saying, Brand goes and sets up a colony on Edmund's planet, and I'm just thinking... They, they've got all these embryos, these fertilized embryos, and so initially you need to incubate and raise ten. Does that mean she's going to be stuck with ten babies that she's got to take care I of? I think so. I think that's how that works. Far out. That's a lot of work, mate. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how that works, so maybe that's why Cooper was going to go help her in the end. Yeah. Yeah. We have been Daniel and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, check us out on all the socials, and comment on SoundCloud. Now, we are most active on Instagram. If you want to talk to us about anything, you can contact us on email. And we have Patreon now, so head over to Patreon if you want to support us. There's bonus episodes every month. Every episode is uncut, unedited, a week earlier. We have polls on honorable mentions. There's a whole bunch of stuff over at Patreon if you want to support us. Yeah, we've also got cool extra movie-related content, so you can check us out. And until next week, thanks for listening.